1: Podcasting to millions from WebmasterRadio.fm's world
2: headquarters in Fort Lauderdale, Florida.
0: Downloading
2: the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.
1: All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly.
3: Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly and... um. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report, broadcast to you live from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica, California, in the heart of Silicon Beach. Um, we have a big Silicon Beach Fest coming up this weekend, actually, and um, so please be seated. Um, we got a great show for you today. We're going to start with uh, um, an update on some of the breaking news stories in the internet, and then we're going to go completely brown. Um, we're gonna have a brown out um because our next two our guests today each are named Brown, so um purely coincidental, not intentional. We do not color coordinate our programming here at webmaster radio um <laughs> but you know hey, if Pink wanted to be on the show i I'd let her I think, but in any event um there's some there's some breaking news from Capitol Hill on the, um, that's really related to the internet in that, um, the House Energy and Commerce Committee just moments ago, uh, approved House concur resolution, resolution 127 and expressing the sense of Congress regarding actions to preserve and advance the multi-stakeholder governance model in which the internet has thrived and it, um, opposes um, any effort by the United Nations General Assembly, the United Nations Commissions on Science and Technology, and the International Telecommunications Union um, to, to exert control over the Internet. Um, it is the sense of Congress that the Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Communications and Information and Consultation with the Secretary of State and um, – Shall continue working to implement the position of the United States on internet governance that clearly articulates the consistent and unequivocal policy of the United States to promote a global internet free from government control and preserve and advance the successful multi stakeholder model of governance that the internet has today and what 's driving this is that there's a there 's a conference in December um, in Dubai um, on the uh, in the um the ITU the International mm-hmm. Telecommunications Union and um this discussions um have been have have information has leaked out um that there's some in the in the community um predominantly the Russians the Chinese and, and some of the underdeveloped countries that would like to have the UN play a greater role in the internet um Whereas as opposed to now, a lot of it is just done through ICANN and and, and as the the resolution indicates, multi-stakeholder process. Um, And so proposals have leaked out. And some of the proposals are alarming because it suggests that um, the lesson that some countries are taking from Arab Spring isn't necessarily to um, be more open and democratic, but rather – that the Internet um, can be a dangerous um, tool in the hands of the enemy of someone who is repressive. And so their their lesson that some countries are taking from Arab Spring is they want to be able to control the Internet to somehow prevent, you know, Basically, what some were calling at one point the Twitter Revolution, where information is disseminated quickly and people are able to mobilize in response using the internet, um, and so they want greater control of that. And um, all this is coming out. The UN has denied that there is any agenda, any such agenda, um, that they have no no intention of trying to alter the current internet governance um, model. But it. The document seems to suggest that there is there are some in, in the global community that would like to see um a more u n centric role um in something somewhat less dominated by the united states so um you in a rare and a rare error of um bipartisanship on capitol hill um you know this sailed through the house energy commerce committee um this morning and um and I wouldn't be. It should quickly be adopted on the floor, and I would imagine the Senate uh, would also agree with this. Um this is non-binding, of course, but I'm um, not aware of the Obama administration having any different position um, that, than that as well. So um, that's the other. That's one big news, and um, to also to follow up on last week's discussion on ICANN and the um, selection of the. Or the announcement of the global, the um, generic um, top-level domain names, um, we have um, some data on um, what those names were, and it turns out the top name um, sought was .dot app that had the leading number of applicants, and so there will have to be um, some sort of process to um, adjudicate you know, as to who who should get that. Um, in addition, um, there are a lot of um, er- names in the area of business and professions. We have a lot of accountants, attorneys, corp law, legal, um, and um, there are also some that are seem to be somewhat inconsistent. Um, so, you know, where you wouldn't want to grant um, all of them, for example. You know, all in the in the legal field, there's a dot law dot lawyer dot legal a dot attorney and dot esquire or esq. Um, there's several for dentist, uh, a whole bunch for realtor, and um, so that that's going to be I think something that we we'll we we'll have to figure out. Um, even in the in the area with gripe sites, um, there's a dot gripe and a dot sucks. And uh, although arguably the, uh, the the latter could be used for other <laughs> other content, um, but I think it's primarily geared towards trying to attract uh, um, you know the gripe type websites. You know this company sucks, and so and so sucks. Someone so's a liar. Those type of sites. But um, in terms of what does it all mean? Why would why do you seek something like this? Well. One, the domain registries will get fees um, for once these are up and running, and people will be buying um, all those websites, and um, and so there's value there. And you know, and you wonder whether why would anyone want something other than a .com website? Well, in the last um, eighteen months, um, we've had some top level. Non, coms that have sold for significant sums. Um, gay.xxx sold for half a million dollars. Um, cars.net was $170,000. Um, and CreditCard.net, $138,000. And AutoInsurance.org was $440,000. So there's this value um, to be had in these names. And uh, I think um, it also could be some value to consumers. If you're a tourist and you're looking for a restaurant or a hotel um and say in vegas or Boston if you haven't been there before well there is a, well, some of the domains applied for were dot boston dot quebec dot vegas and a number of other cities so you know this, there there's definitely opportunities, but there's also opportunities for abuse um people have to you should monitor these to make sure that um your site your your trademark is not being abused. And there actually is a process to do that. Um, ICON is basically implementing a clearinghouse to Mm -hmm. permit brands um, to register their name and receive notice of potentially infringing registration. And they're also creating what is known as a uniform rapid suspension system in which brands can challenge a domain registration on an expedited basis in clear-cut cases of trademark abuse. So it it has to be really um, some kind of clear that this is a cyber squatter. Um, And um, they're also going to permit objections to to the proposed top-level domains if on the basis of the – the top-level domain being confusingly similar to an existing top-level domain, um, infringement of existing legal rights contrary to generally accepted legal norms, um, or if there's um, substantial op- opposition to the application from a significant portion of the community to which it um, is targeted. So, um that process is going to be ongoing. If you have a trademark, you you definitely want to make sure that your brand is not being abused. Um, the coalition against domain name abuse has expressed some concerns. And, um, there are some who have said that the web is about to enter a new era. One rife with increased risk from cyber squatters, counterfeiters, and trademark infringers. So, um, that lies ahead, but there's a story I want to relay to you. And, um, that is of particularly relevance um, about what we're about to talk about next, and it relates to um, a, a proposal on Kickstarter um, for a um, film um, entitled "Tropes Versus Women," and it was designed to address the issue of of um, explore. The role of video games in terms of how women are depicted in the games, and um, they had an amazing response. Um, the it, The film is it was sought funding from Anita Arkesian, um, a self-described feminist pop culture critic, and she sought to raise six thousand dollars through Kickstarter to fund a project, and um, and in the process, it uh, she became. The subject of what um, one writer has described, a torrent of misogyny and a hate speech on YouTube, um, repeated vandalization of her Wikipedia page, and um, organized efforts to flag her YouTube videos as terrorism, as well as many threatening messages sent through Twitter, Facebook, Kickstarter, email, and um, her own website. Um, quote, These messages and comments have included everything from typical sandwich and kitchen jokes to threats of violence, death, sexual assault, and rape. All that plus an organized attempt to report this project to Kickstarter and get it banned or defunded. And um, what's amazing is that the community responded to it and came to her defense. Um, Kickstarter co-founder um, Yancy Strickler um, came, came and supported; was one of the backers of the project, um, which um, far exceeded its goal of six thousand dollars, and I think had close to one hundred fifty thousand dollars when the time it closed um, last week. And uh, also coming to her defense was Roger Ebert, you know, the renowned film critic. So. Um, it's an interesting um, problem, and it's not the first time that this has occurred in this space. Um, there was another um, person who had sought to explore the role of gender in the video game industry, and um, she, her name is Jennifer Hepler, and who was quote hounded out of town for expressing some fairly innocuous statements about video games. So that that's um, we'll be talking in very shortly with Tiana Brown, who has her own um, Kickstarter. Um, proposal but luckily has has not had that experience but um and then the other thing is that the New York um governor Cuomo of New York is getting ready to sign um the state's um new um cyber bully law which was spurred in part by um, the recent suicide of Tyler Clementi and the conviction of his roommate um, from Rutgers University, and who just um, got out of jail, I think yesterday, um, and the release of the documentary "Bully," which I don't know if any of you have seen. Um, as well as, interestingly, there was a camp lobbying campaign by a 16-year-old Long Island high school student who had been the victim of cyberbullying. And um, all has all cited those as being things that influenced um, their decision to move forward and, and, and enact cyberbullying um, legislation in New York. So um, we're going to um, transition shortly to Tiana Brown, and she has a an interesting project out there where um, she um, has a movie called The Treatment and with the Supreme Court about to address um, Obama's healthcare care um, law. This would be a good time to talk about a, um, a, uh, a horror film involving medical care. But we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, um, we're going to have Tiana Brown, and she's going to talk about her Kickstarter proposal for a movie entitled The Treatment
2: Join the thousands of search and social media marketers at one of the largest events of the year, SES San Francisco 2012, August 13th through the 17th. Learn more at sesconference.com. SES San Francisco 2012 kicks off three days of sessions with a keynote presentation by Google Digital Marketing Evangelist, Avinash Kaushik, speaking about business optimization in a digital age. Check out daily Meet the Expert roundtables where you can take part in intimate and informative discussions with industry icons. Add over 70 sessions, a crowded expo floor, on-site training at the ClickZ Academy, the big search engine watch eliminator, goodbye, and webmasterradio.fm search bash, and you'll have SES San Francisco 2012, August 13th through the 17th. Register for SES San Francisco 2012 today by clicking on the banner ads from the webmasterradio.fm website or go now to sesconference.com.
1: RISE links and web indexes. Take a bow to the largest link map in the world. Majestic SEO. Maximize ROI to use your time and let Majestic wield its mighty sword. MajesticSEO.com. It's good to be king.
4: Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for
2: happy hour. You're already done for the day?
4: Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org.
2: Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Open your windows for a breath of fresh air. WebmasterRadio.fm And hey, Mac, we're here for you, too. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. The
1: best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on Webmasterradio.fm.
3: Continuing with Cyber Law and Business Report, broadcast to you live from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica. And we have with us Tiana Brown. And Tiana is the producer of the film entitled uh, The Treatment, and um, which has a, an interesting twist on um, medical treatment. And it's currently being, um, she's seeking funding from Kickstarter um, for the film. And we've talked a little bit before about the role of Kickstarter, particularly with respect to um, funding film projects. So, Tiana, are you with us? I am. Um, thank you for joining us. And... Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about the film?
4: Sure, absolutely. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, Liam Carl, our writer-director, uh, dreamt up the concept for the film after he had this insane recurring nightmare about being trapped in a drugstore with nothing but pills to eat. <laughs> so instead of uh, freaking out about it, he decided to write a script. <laughs> so he's been working on the script for two years, and uh, this... Um, this film is uh, basically, you know, bringing that to fruition. So um, it's uh, it's basically uh, the story of a loose and a OCD hypochondriac that seeks out uh, naturopathic doctors um, to seek a cure uh, for a series of non-existent ills. And uh, unfortunately, he finds a doctor that um, tells him that in fact he is sick when in fact he isn't and Um, Gives him a bunch of uh, hallucinogenic pills, and so that's where the horror psychological thriller part of the the film kind of crops up.
3: Of course, it it does. It does beg the question about what type of research did you do
4: (laughs) for for, for that part? (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) definitely
3: But so, um, you you chose Kickstarter. I mean, there are other. what, What made you choose Kickstarter as opposed to other options for funding?
4: Well, certainly, uh, there've been a lot of successful projects there, you know, looking around, it's really inspiring to see how well other films were doing, um, and all sorts of films. And, uh, uh, basically a lot of people who have a dream, they want to promote their film. They're not getting picked up by big studios, um, at least initially it helps them get, uh, get their, their, their name out. And, um, and find find supporters, just you know just about anybody can get on there and donate, and that freedom is is awesome
3: and, and what has the response been so far?
4: Well, so far, we have uh just been trying to promote the Kickstarter as much as possible, but we're really new to it, <laughs> so we really need uh need some help, so we put up uh, a bunch of of really, really cool um, perks for anybody who decides to become a backer. Um, depending on the amount pledged, we have, um, we you know, we've offered the opportunity to get exclusive perks like signed DVDs of the film, invites to the events for the movie, uh, tickets to the premiere, uh, co-producer credits. You can even have a custom disease named after Meaned after you oh, interesting. The film. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and uh, you can get your name in the special thanks section of the Rolling credits, or you can even get a speaking role on the film um, so uh, depending on how much how much you you basically back the film there's there's really great perks i think if i um, you know if I were interested in which of course I am, I'm producing the film but um, if if I were someone who just wanted to be a part of a really cool project in any sort of way. There's, there's definitely lots there for people who are interested.
3: So, what would you think of a disease um, entitled Brascoitis? <laughs> exactly. What
2: you, Br- Brasco, what do you think of that? Would that be a good one?
3: <laughs> or Brasco's syndrome? Try that
2: name again one more time. <laughs> Brascoitis
3: <laughs> or Brasco syndrome? <laughs> If we get cut to it yes. really suddenly you know what the reaction is. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Brascoitus?
3: Yeah, yeah. Brascoitis. What do you think?
2: Like coitus, brascoitis, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> There's a has
3: anyone suggested good any good any good diseases to you?
4: Uh no, not yet. But you know, Liam, the the writer has uh certainly has lots of fun ideas. So, you know, he gets pretty excited depending on you know, we talk to different people. Say, "Oh, we want to do this," and you know, if you end up backing the film, he will sit down with you and just just think up the craziest, coolest names, and uh, then you can pick the one that
3: you like the most. So, and as and approaching Kickstarter, I mean, we, we talked earlier just before you came on about um, a, a woman who was making a film that the, the, some some in the obviously Kickstarter community didn't really appreciate, and uh-huh. um, she was just totally terrorized. Then, um, uh-huh. you know. And as you as you become more knowledgeable about Kickstarter, anything any takeaways so far for you know what 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 people should learn about using something like this, when how to succeed, and what are some of the things to look out for?
4: Well, certainly, you know, I've I've noticed that um, you know uh, the folks who are who are more successful. We really studied the approach, um, you know, the content on the Kickstarter for different projects uh, that were successful, and the ones that are most successful definitely. Had really really hefty perks for the different brackets of of folks um, the different amounts of, of money that they could basically back back the project with um, so you know be just think about what would be the coolest thing that somebody could get and and list it there basically um, if you if you can get a video um, and have a really great description of the project and and a lot of people you know backers of course anybody investing really wants to know how how they're going to get money back from it so with this is definitely definitely show them show them what you've got (laughs) is it's 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 an open
3: platform right i mean kickstarter doesn't have to approve you do they
4: uh they do you do go through an application process just make sure you know that you know you have one project um that's you know you don't have four or five that are you know all identical and they look at the content make sure it's Appropriate, um, and uh, they just make sure that they give you tips on what you can do to make it uh, more attractive, or how to get it, um, you know, listed. And just basically, they'll help you through the entire process. It's really, it's, it was really, really awesome. It was fun. Now, what, How did you come to this? T- I mean, this topic. The Kickstarter project itself, uh, or, just, or
3: no, the treatment.
4: Oh, the treatment. Um, meaning, how did I become the producer? Of
3: yeah, well, why, yeah, I mean, why do you attach this film in, what is it, Was it interest you about this, um, you know, this kind of, this horror film about um, <laughs> an, an OCD guy um, who all of a sudden gets um, treated for everything he doesn't have?
4: <laughs> well, I, I think it's fascinating. I mean, the you know, I read the script a couple of times, of course, and um, um, I'd known Liam for a couple of years, and he showed me the workup um and then it wasn't it was a year later, so he asked me to be his producers you know just i mean just i think he's a genius and i I think it's beautifully beautifully done so I'm excited to see um the outcome of the film but uh basically you know it's um it's just uh just uh, very interesting in that you know the film starts with a really small kid this garrett the main the main character he's scolded by his aunt for something that really wasn't bad, but he takes it to heart and it affects his entire life. So what we say to our kids, what we say to people who are impressionable and very young does affect them. Um, and then of course, uh, you know, the medical industry and there's so many little things going on there and and how that continues to kind of mislead him basically. And, um, and then of course the fun starts when when the you know someone who's purposefully misleading him uh, gets a hold of uh, gets a hold of him and, and gives him hallucinogenic uh, experimental hallucinogenic pills that just send him over the edge so now so now he's so far gone and and basically it, it becomes um, you know like you, you think about it it's like monk meets, meets jacob ladder jacob's ladder meets <laughs> ram stoker's dracula Uh, Because there's a really, there's really, it's, it's really interesting to the end as well. So if you get a chance, um, check us out on Kickstarter. Uh, You can just type in the treatment and it's the first thing that comes up. Uh, And it has basically a a trailer for the film and, and, uh, you know, a little piece at the beginning where Liam just talks about what we're trying to do.
3: Um, We only got about a minute left. And um, so where, where can people find more information and where, and where can they find more information about you?
4: Sure. Um, you can go to the Kickstarter and uh, look up, using the keywords, The Treatment. Our film will be on the first page. It's um, The Treatment, A Story of a Man and His Pills. And you can click on the poster to see details. And if you want to become a back backer and basically join our team um, and get the opportunity to be on set and just do all this cool stuff, uh, it be neat to have you. Or you can go to thetreatmentfilm.com. And we, we're definitely... Uh, August. Uh, so we, we're still looking to shoot in August, but we'll definitely take backers at any point to help us with any of the production costs.
3: And your Kickstarter deadline?
4: Oh, oh, it, actually, the Kickstarter deadline ends in just a few days. So that's June 30th. Sorry about that. But we're going to relist again. We're going to put up uh, a new Kickstarter um, well, if us, we don't meet our goal.
3: Okay, let us know um, if you when you do and we'll, we'll let people know. Oh, great. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, All right. Thank you, Tiana. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Tiana.
4: It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Tiana. It's been a pleasure.
3: Yes. Have a great day. Cheers, and I'll, I'll come up with a good disease for you.
4: <laughs> Excellent. I'll be looking forward to that. Thank
3: you. So um, in our second half hour, we're going to be talking to another film producer, um, although this one um, was predates um, Kickstarter. It's um, Adam Brown. Adam, are you with us?
5: Hey, how's it going? Can you hear me? I can.
3: Thank you for joining right. us. And um, you know, I was really um, thrilled when I stumbled upon your film. Adam is the producer of an Webby Award-winning film called Sonic's Gate. and um, this has nothing to do with Watergate. But um, it's and also it's a different Washington. It's in Seattle, um, and Adam is a, a lifelong um, fan of the Seattle Supersonics. Who decided to take action when the team was um, ripped out of Seattle and moved to Oklahoma City and so he put together a, a web video um, a web movie that um, kind of outlined how the, the, the Sonics more or less were stolen from a city where they've been quite successful for a number of years um, going to the finals four times and even winning the championship in the 70s so um, Adam why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and more and curious about what led you to make the film
5: Yeah, well, uh, you know, in 2008, after a long period of sort of uh, a perfect storm of political ineptitude and corporate greed by Sonic's owner, Howard Schultz, Mm -hmm. uh, who started a big feud with the best player uh, on the team, Gary Payton. I can
3: interject, for those who aren't familiar, Howard Schultz is the um, the owner or was the owner of um, Starbucks, right?
5: Yeah, he's the CEO of Starbucks, and you'll see him all over the media. Uh, And, you know, the Sonics were in Seattle for 41 years, and they were one of the iconic flagship franchises of the NBA since 1967. They won the championship in 1979 and uh, made the playoffs almost every year of my life. Uh, You know, throughout the 90s, there were all those great Gary Payton and Sean Kemp-led teams, and, uh, you know, ultimately it was a perfect storm of of political impotence and corporate greed that ripped this team away from Sonics fans. And there's so many layers to the story. Uh, I was the volunteer media director for the Save Our Sonics non uh, nonprofit organization who was fighting to keep the team. And, you know, we organized a bunch of rallies and did everything we could as fans to to keep the team but ultimately you know fans are powerless against the millionaires billionaires and politicians who run things and and there was a lot of scandalous things involved that ripped the team away from fans here and we wanted to document that because the whole story was swept under the rug nationally and really there's never been a team relocation with this many layers like this and you mentioned that we're uh, before Kickstarter actually Sonic skate was funded by one of the very first Kickstarter campaigns ever in two thousand nine we were oh, so you uh, were funded by Kickstarter yeah we uh how funny I didn't we know did that. a five thousand dollar Kickstarter campaign in two thousand nine uh which was one of the sort of uh test runs for Kickstarter when they were first launching
3: and um that's really interesting is said so how did you um how did, How was that experience? you know because it wasn't a whole lot of track record in terms of using Kickstarter?
5: yeah, it was great. You know we raised five thousand dollars and it helped get the word out about the the movie and you know films cost a lot more than that to produce. So we have our executive producer, Colin Baxter, who came out of his pocket, probably another forty or fifty thousand dollars to make it happen. We have a team of five guys who basically have worked full time hours for the last four years on this project without any pay, uh, just just out of the pure love for the Sonics and also just the desire to get this story out. And, you know, since we released the film, uh, the two-hour film online for free in 2009, uh, it's sort of taken on a life of its own. But, uh, you know, Kickstarter was a huge part of that, and we've subsequently done two additional Kickstarter campaigns to help fund... Uh, trips to New York, uh, where we screened the film in 2010, right before we won the Webby Award. And and that was a big part, I think, of getting the word out for the Webby Award. And then we've also done another Kickstarter campaign uh, that sent us to the Denver versus Oklahoma City playoff game last year, where we do our No Team is Safe campaign, where we sit behind the Oklahoma City Thunder bench, you know, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are in the finals right now used to be the Sonics. Uh, that's the team that was ripped away from us with Kevin Durant. And uh, so we sit behind the bench and we hold our Sonics signs and wear our jerseys and remind everybody that this team was ripped away from Seattle and fans are still here. We want the we want the Sonics back here in Seattle.
3: Now, um, let's talk a little bit about the, the franchise history. I mean, it, it, you're part of the expansion in 1967, which included the San Diego Rockets. Who are another team that relocated um, rather quickly in this case, um, and but also the next year you had the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns, followed by the Buffalo Braves in the Seventies, who are now the Clippers, the Cavs, and then Portland, all part of nineteen seventy. So you're part of the era era of great expansion, and of that group, um, I think you well the Bucks won an early championship because they had a little you know um, Kareem, but of that group um, and the Rockets. Um, you're the ones, you in Portland, you know, the only ones that won championships.
5: Yeah, I mean the Sonics were one of the most successful franchises uh, in the in the league in terms of you know having Hall of Fame players like Spencer Haywood in the '70s, Slick Watts, Dennis Johnson, Downtown Freddie Brown, Jack Sigma. You know, going to the '80s, uh, Xavier McDaniel, Tom Chambers, Dale Ellis. Of course, Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Detlef Shrimp, Ray Allen, Kevin Durant, you know, in, in, yes. the, in the late 2000s. So uh, the, the team has so much history and uh, is certainly the most successful pro sports team that, out of any of the Seattle teams, uh, you know, being in the playoffs so many times and winning division titles. So that just made them more woven into the Seattle community uh, than any of the other teams. And it, it made it that much more painful when they were ripped away.
3: In looking at other leagues and uh, and also also within the NBA, you know, are there there aren't that many cases of very successful teams um, being ripped away from a city? I mean, L.A. had lost the the Rams and the Raiders in in one in one season, and but both you know both were fairly successful franchises. But I can't other than, I can't think of many other circumstances like that.
5: Yeah, you know, it's something that is really an anomaly. The Sonics were in Seattle more than twice as long as any other relocated NBA franchise. Mm-hmm. And at the time they were relocated in 2008, only five other NBA teams had longer tenures in their current city than the Sonics did in Seattle. So it really was a unique situation. You know, relocation does happen in sports. So this that's not a unique story. But uh, right. The way that it happened in Seattle to such an iconic franchise and a, and a successful franchise uh, was really unique. And, and it's something that we've been exploring called the sports industrial complex. You know, we've heard of the military industrial complex with Halliburton and Iraq. We've heard of the prison industrial complex with imprisoning minorities to keep these privately funded jails full, uh, you know, and all this all the corruption that happens in those things. Well, in the sports industrial complex, what happens is. The leagues and the owners say, we don't care about your history, we don't care about your fan support, if you don't build me a new half a billion dollar arena, we're going to take your team away and move it somewhere where they're going to publicly subsidize the these arenas. And you can no longer uh, support a team and drive the revenue streams needed to uh, support an NBA team strictly based on ticket sales and TV revenue. You have to have these massive footprints. The average NBA uh, arena has a footprint of 750,000 square feet. Well, Key Arena here in Seattle, while it was a great place to watch a game, it had some of the best sight lines and a great intimate feel in the, in the bowl to watch a game. It, it had less than half of that average uh, square footage for the total footprint of the building. So that meant that you couldn't pop in all these restaurants and carnival games and concessions and ways to drive revenue other than ticket sales. And so ultimately that's why the owner started losing money after player s- salaries skyrocketed in the early 2000s and uh, Key Arena became obsolete uh, less than 10 years after it was remodeled to exact NBA standards in 1995. So uh, you know the sports industrial complex is is taking these teams and saying, "Well, you have all this history, but Oklahoma City is willing to give 120 million dollars of taxpayer money, and so where's our handout?" And so that's ultimately why the team relocated.
3: Now, um, let's talk briefly. You know, a lot of people will say get over it to you, and but there's something you also not only was your, your franchise successful. Um, and being and being taken from your city, but it was acquired um, under with express representations that it would not be moved and with um, and with a lease that actually had a, a requirement that they continue to play there for a number of years um and then in, in the process it was discovered that the the, the new owners Bennett um, had intended all along to just move it to to uh, Oklahoma City
5: yeah, it's just one of the many sort of lies and scandals that are exposed in the in the film Sonic Skate, and people can watch it for free at sonicsgate.com on YouTube. and we also have the new version for sale there on DVD. Uh, you know, when Howard Schultz kind of gave up on on funding a new remodel for Key Arena and sold the team to Clay Bennett in 2006, he made Bennett sign a side letter. That said, that he would make a one-year good faith best effort to keep the team in Seattle and find a new arena uh, uh, solution. So Bennett said all the right things and and said that he was going to keep the team in Seattle if he if he possibly could, and that no, that we want a team in Oklahoma City, but that's unrelated to this transaction. Were his exact words, uh, and so. We found out that later as the team, uh, you know, they had two more years left on their lease. The lease ran through 2010. Well, Bennett filed to break the lease and, and move the team early. And so all these uh, emails came out in the discovery process of a federal trial to try to keep the team to the lease for two more years. And so we saw in these emails that came out in discovery that he had been the entire time emailing with his ownership group, emailing with David Stern and the league, uh, trying to figure out how to get the team to Oklahoma City as fast as possible. And then, of course, he, he lied on the stand and in numerous press conferences saying that those emails were referring to his efforts in Seattle, even though anyone with a brain can obviously see from the context of the emails that they were referring to Oklahoma City. So. Uh, it was quite the deception and quite the manipulation. You know, they also, during that period of time, you know, we drafted Kevin Durant here in Seattle, and he was supposed to be the savior uh, and, and keep the team here. Everyone knew Kevin Durant would become this superstar. You know, the, guy, the kid was play, born to play basketball. And, of course, then immediately after drafting Kevin Durant, uh, Bennett's GM, Sam Presti, traded Ray Allen, the team's other star. Uh, on the, literally within like 10 minutes of the draft. And you know, they they put out a terrible product on the court, did everything they could to drive a wedge between the team and the fans, which of course led to bad attendance numbers the final season, uh, which of course led to them trying to say, oh, there's no fan support here. And, you know, it's just we, we couldn't let them get away with it. So we, we documented all these events in our film, SonicScape. All
3: right, we're going to talk about that when we come back after the break, but um, we're going to take a short break.
5: This is Bennett Kelly. You're listening
3: to Cyber Law and Business Report, and we're talking about Sonic's Gate. Stay
1: tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors.
2: I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To
1: get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis.
0: How much time do you spend on SEO research and competitor analysis? What if we told you that there was an easier, faster way? Searchmetrics SEO software propels you to top positions on search engines around the world with our unique global search, social, and competitive data in over 60 countries. Gain a competitive advantage today with Searchmetrics.com. That's Searchmetrics.com.
1: Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? and authority on search vendors. Webmasterradio.fm. Keep your headphones handy and the feed loaded. We never stop. Do you? The best gavel to gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on Webmaster Radio.fm.
3: And you're listening to Cyber Law Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly at Adam Brown, the producer of SonicScape. And, um, Sonic's Gate has recently been, um, initially was a web movie had won a Webby award and is now being, um, a, a shorter version is now being aired on CNBC. And, um, so Adam, um, what led you to decide, I'm, I'm sure you, like many fans were angry about what happened, um, uh, with the team moving to Oklahoma City, but what led you, what led you to decide to make a movie and, and a web movie at that?
5: Well, uh, we got together with our crew and and I met up with the director, Jason Reed, and the executive producer, Colin Baxter, and they had been talking about doing a a short documentary on how the team was ripped away and getting the truth out and hopefully uh, creating momentum to bring a team back to Seattle. Uh, We also had our editor, Darren Lund, our web uh, designer, Colin White, and our cinematographer, Ian Connors, and basically the six of us uh, who are professional filmmakers by trade decided to make this movie just kind of for the love of the sonics and and you know we were we knew we were in this kind of new media wild west where all of the old rules don 't apply anymore and it 's all about the internet and Facebook and twitter uh, this was in two thousand and nine when those things were really starting to become ubiquitous and, and there so, there
3: are a few tech companies in seattle aren 't there
5: yeah there's one or two tech companies <laughs> up here so we 're we're somewhat on the cutting edge of, of the technology. You know, we, we just edited this whole thing on uh, MacBooks and, and Final Cut Pro and uh, shot it in 720p HD uh, ca- with HD cameras. And um, so we it was it was really the executive producer, Colin Baxter, who had the vision saying, listen, I'm going to put up money that you guys need to fly, fly around and interview whoever you need to interview and i don't care about making my money back i just want this story out so rather than charge 5 bucks per download or you know put all these barriers to people seeing the film and, and having the possibility of it just sitting on the shelf for, for years without anybody seeing it we decided let's let's take on the new media revolution let's release it for free online and let's just get it out there so we did that in october 2009 and
3: I've watched it's it's actually it's entertaining. I mean I like the way you start off with the the kind of the history of of sports in Seattle. I mean you lost your very first franchise. Um, the Seattle Pilots became the the Brewers. So, you know there is that kind of um, foreshadowing, but it's a very for those, you know, it, it's easy to get on the web and um, you know, I haven't seen the CNBC version, but I'm I'm sure that's equally um, impressive. Now, um, let's do some, some speed uh, into in the time we have left. What was your favorite um, Seattle team? Obviously, the Sonics. You know, no, which, I, up- I mean, which team of the Sonics? I, I meant to say Sonics. I'm sorry.
5: Oh, which- uh, 96 Sonics went to the finals. Hersey Hawkins, Della Shrimp, Peyton & Kemp, uh, Nate McMillan. Yeah, definitely 96.
3: I remember a quote by Dennis Rodman during that series, and he said something, I guess had, because there was some, they were in Seattle, I guess you had the 2-3-2 two, two format where you had three games in a row in Seattle, and um, and Rodman sets up and like, I can see why they all drink so much coffee because it's, it's so rainy and depressing here, I think was his comment. Right. The sure show was very well received by the Seattle fans.
5: Yep, we had some good times, and then Kemp dunked all over Rodman and sat on his head in that uh, <laughs> in one of those games in Seattle. So it was good times.
3: Now, um, and who was your favorite player?
5: Got to be Gary Payton, and you know that's been one of the great things about producing this film is that I've now gotten to meet and interview most of all my Sonics heroes. You know, I'll I'll uh, text Gary Payton and Sean Kemp now and say, hey, did you see that Kevin Durant dunk or, you know, whatever. And it's been great how this film has really galvanized the whole basketball community to come together uh, and and really unified it. So I I could I can't complain, you know, we lost our team, but uh, we've certainly gained a lot of friendships and and everything from producing the film. That was one thing that impressed me in the movie.
3: I mean, when I saw right off the bat, you see Gary Payton um, and then George Carl uh, you got incredible support, you know, for the movie, and um, so um, in terms of that, I mean, would it, did Sean Kemp participate or
5: Sean was not? We weren't able to get him in the uh, in the two-hour director's cut that was released in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, just we we produced the entire film in four months from start to finish, and I would never recommend any filmmakers do that ever again. It totally just killed us. But uh, we wanted to get the film out fast uh, to, to influence things. Uh, so Sean is in the new version that's airing on CNBC and is available at sonicsgate.com. Uh, we were able to get him for the new one. So that's one of the main differences between the new version and the old versions. we got the Rain Man. And
3: so, one issue for you, for you guys that you try to point out, I think, is that what happened to Seattle could happen to Sacramento, Denver, New Orleans. I mean, um, it could be the Seattle Hornets.
5: Right. Yeah. That's, we ended the film with, with famous off, author Sherman Alexi uh, talking about how, you know, it's, it's a shame that in order to get a team back in Seattle, we're probably going to have to break the hearts of another fan base to relocate a team up here, and uh, because the NBA has said numerous times, and Davis Stern has said many times that the NBA will not expand and and create new expansion teams, so that's the only way we're going to get a team up here. And uh, you know, we've been going around giving advice to fan bases in Sacramento. And uh, and New Orleans and all these other cities that are struggling and saying, hey, look, if this happened in Seattle after, with a successful 41 year franchise, it could definitely happen to any of the small market teams, you know, outside of New York and L.A. Really, no team is safe. And so if you look on YouTube, we've, we have Actually, uh, not even L.A. <laughs> right, right. Look at look at our, look at our
3: successful football teams.
5: Right, and it's really it's not about your fan base or your history. It's a hundred percent about your arena facility and whether your your city and your state are willing to put public taxpayer dollars into the arena. So. Uh, You know, it's we've been warning those other cities, but we didn't invent the rules of the game. And and we hope that Sacramento keeps their team. We hope those fans have a chance to keep their team. Same with Memphis and New Orleans and Indiana and Milwaukee and all these other struggling cities. But we want Seattle to be first in line for the next franchise, however that may be. So, you know, there's other cities like San Jose, Anaheim, Kansas City, who all want teams. Uh, so we want Seattle to be first on the list. Thank you, Adam. Adam, it's been a pleasure having you.
3: And what's the website? Sonicsgate.com?
5: Sonicsgate.com. Uh, you can talk to us at Sonicsgate on Twitter. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Bennett.
3: Thank you, Adam. It's been a pleasure. And I do hope to see basketball back in Seattle. Now, there's a famous quote um, that actually is linked to um, Seattle basketball history. And it's, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. And that's what um, Washington Bullets coach Dick Mata said after falling behind three games to two against the Sonics in, um, I believe it was the 1977 um, NBA Finals, and the Bullets did come back, and the fat lady um, sang in favor of the Bullets that year. So, um, But then and then the rematch the next year, the Sonics won their first and only championship, so... Brasco, it wasn't Yogi
2: Berra. See, but that's the perception I usually got. What it was, Yogi Berra. But no, I forgot. It's Yogi versus "It Ain't Over Till It's Over."
3: That's right. And, and, and you know, then, there's and, uh, even uh, then,
2: <laughs> there's a lot of different variations. Don't count your chickens until they're hatched. So that's that's where it comes from.
3: So. I was going to say I remember Game Seven and the uh, why I watched the game and the the um, coverage starts off with there was actually some fat lady in an opera suit oh. <laughs> in the cap center um, you know for Game Seven and um, so that 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 was a big theme being played up in Washington for that game.
2: Wow. Okay. I Never realized that. Huh. So.
3: Oh. The fat lady cometh.
2: Yes. yes. Uh, hopefully, the, the fat lady has now sung for you guys. I saw the uh, LA Press Club. You were nominated a couple weeks back. and uh, What's the whole story behind it? You're going to be... Uh, there's a chance yes, you guys the, can um, win an award, the, uh, the radio show. Um, no, unfortunately, the radio show
3: was not nominated, oh. um, but um, the... Uh, the Cyber Report, which is basically a lot of this information is drawn from, the Internet Law Center Cyber Report. Our newsletter, we've been nominated for the fourth year in a row um, for Best um, In-House Magazine and Newsletter. And um, last year we actually won. A um, must-read. A must-read, yes, and we'll be releasing a new one today. Um, And so the awards are Sunday at the... um, in, in downtown Los Angeles and actually they're going to be honoring Carl Woodward and um, um, Bob um, excuse me Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein for the 40th anniversary of Watergate oh, so wow. um, an interesting ceremony to be and I mean it's always good to be nominated if we don't win we don't win but I, I appreciate the encouragement and so um, I guess we're running out of time, so I want to thank everyone for joining us um, for our special film and NBA finals of the um, um, Cyberlaw and Business Report. And uh, my favorite Sonic was always Joey Hassett, who went to my high school, So, um, and he played on the Sonics team that won. So to Joey and all other Sonics fans, hang in there. Um, and we'll hope to have all of you back next week when Cyber Law and Business Report returns to Webmaster Radio, um, broadcast live from the Internet Law Center. And be sure to read Cyber Report on WordPress, com. Cheers, everyone. Quarters adjourned.